I just wanted more. I wanted to go up. I wanted to, I wanted to, to win more medals. I wanted to break more records. I wanted to keep going and keep going and keep going. So I was really never satisfied. That's why I'm still in the sport right now. Welcome to What's Next with Eric Wood, where we will prepare you to make your what's next in life your best yet by learning from high performers in a variety of industries. Our next guest on the show is Justin Gatlin. Justin won Olympic gold at the Athens Olympics in 2004 in the 100 meter and will now try at age 39 to win gold at the Olympics in Tokyo this summer. Justin will blow you away by how he breaks down a race and how he prepares for them. There are so many nuggets that you will take away from Justin's inspiring words. The best leaders in the world have a unique combination of humility and confidence, and both of those will come through loud and clear through his words. There are over 100,000 new podcasts being released each week, so it means a lot to me that you spend your time tuning into this episode. Please rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast so we can continue to make an impact. Enjoy. Justin, welcome to the show, brother. Appreciate it, man. Thank you, man. Thank you for having me. This is definitely the most distance apart I've ever been with a guest. Originally, the podcast started out in-person interviews, then the Zoom interviews took over, especially during the quarantine. But from Louisville, Kentucky, all the way to Qatar is a first and definitely the most distance. Yeah, we are thousands and thousands of miles away from each other in different time zones for sure. Yeah, no doubt. 8 a.m. my time, 3 p.m. your time. But in preparation for the Olympic Games, I can't thank you enough for your time here today. But let's start off. This is where we start off with all the guests. Where did you grow up and what sports did you play growing up? Oh, man. Um, I grew up in Pensacola, Florida. I was born in Brooklyn, New York. Um, my dad my dad was in the military. We moved down to Pensacola, Florida. Got transferred, so I kind of stretched my legs out there in Pensacola. And uh, growing up, my parents put me in anything that I wanted to be in, you know. And that was – I played baseball. I played I, – I swam. I played football. The last sport I tried was actually track, man. You know what I mean? Wow. So out of all the sports, it was track was the last one. I was like, this is this this fits me. It feels good. Yeah, that's funny. Football was actually the last one I uh, chose as well. I would have played it earlier, but I was too big uh, when I was a kid. I was over the weight limit. So that was actually the last one I got into as well, funny enough. But at what age did you realize that you were fast, like faster than anybody else around you? Man, what age did I know I was faster? I, first grade? Honestly, I mean, there was only one other kid that was neck and neck with me or maybe even just a little bit faster, but he was already like six feet tall in first grade. He was a man child. You know what I mean? He was, he was, he was up there. He was, he had to be at least no exaggeration. I'd be like about maybe five, five, six, five, seven. And he went on to be a football player, like a, a stand outstanding football player as well. So, um, but me and him just go head to head running down running down the clay track that we had there at elementary school and I just knew and then from there I used to race all the kids in my neighborhood on when they were on bikes I still would be on foot and I would beat them so I knew I was fast but I didn't know what what fast really meant oh yeah yeah that that is moving if your buddies are on bikes and you're catching them on foot that, that's definitely yeah. 
Let's fast forward quickly. And you're 22 and in Athens, and you win gold medal. What's that like to achieve that type of, of pinnacle in your sport so young? Um, I'm still trying to compute that, man, to be honest. Right. <laughs> you know, you know, I set out to, to accomplish a dream, you know, and I wanted to make a splash in the professional realm as quick as I could, you know. And I did, you know, within my second year of being a professional athlete, uh, I, have the, I have the gold medal right there in my grasp. Um, I just wanted more. I wanted to go up. I wanted, I wanted to, to win more medals. I wanted to break more records. I wanted to keep going and keep going and keep going. So I was really never satisfied. That's why I'm still in the sport right now. <laughs> no doubt. And, and that never satisfied, that's, that's kind of what the premise of this podcast is all about. Like, how do you prepare yourself to make – your what's next in life, your best chapter yet. And guys like yourself, shoot, last weekend we got Phil Mickelson. I'm, I'm, I'm not putting you at age 50, but Phil at age 50 wins the PGA Championship. You got a guy like yourself at 39 to be a medal favorite in the 100. Not, not one of these distance races, the 100, the ultimate test of explosiveness and speed at the Olympic Games, in my opinion. But – Describe, so for those of us out there that have never been an Olympian and, and surely never will be a myself, describe Olympic Village to us. Man, uh, I mean, the name explains itself. It's, it's definitely a village, you know, um, it's like a little community or condominium, you know, with uh, structures. That, and some of them are, are built different. Each, each Olympics is built different. Um, I'll give you an example, like when we went to London, it was like a real village. Like you had little streets and everything where like little go-karts, little cars can drive, golf carts can drive down. Um, you had an address to your building. Um, you had a little porch in the front and you, you had guys from, and ladies from all different sports who would all meet up at the cafeteria, eat in the cafeteria. And in the cafeteria, it was like the hugest buffet you've ever seen in your life of every nationality every culture all kind of foods uh from all different religions everything is in there for any athlete to have and um it was beautiful i mean you you standing in line at, at mcdonald's and right in front of you is yao ming or something like that right or you're sitting down at the lunch table eating and you're sitting next to michael phelps or or anybody else you know like it's it's a beautiful thing you once you accomplish it it's like um it's like watching one of those sports centers uh, commercials where they have these uh, have the athletes in the offices. That's right. what it feels like, for sure. <laughs> That's funny. And they're probably saying the same thing. Like Michael Phelps is probably like, man, I'm, I'm sitting next to Justin Gatlin. So that's, that's really cool. One, I, I, I love your humility in saying like, oh my gosh, you know, I'm around these guys, but they're probably saying the same thing. So that's really cool. And in the fun, I was, my follow-up question was going to be, is there really McDonald's in there? But you confirmed it, you know, you just assume these Olympians can't put anything bad in their bodies, but not everybody's wired that way. And some people want their McDonald's and if McDonald's pays yeah. enough, I'm sure they you, can get it in there. You would be surprised how long those lines are for the McDonald's in the villages. Um, I give you an example. When we was in Rio, uh, the food wasn't that, that great in the cafeteria um, and they were cooking cause you know, they got to cook in quantity. Not, so it's, so the right. quality drops. And so athletes, they become picky. And it was like, man, we just want something that's good. 
you know, and the line for McDonald's was either 30 to 45 minutes long standing. And you would see the line wrapped around one of the buildings. And it was to the point where the, the workers in the McDonald's was just giving away food so they can be done for the day. So you order a cheeseburger and French fries and you open your bag, you got three cheeseburgers and four French fries in there, you know, and they're like, they're just giving away food because they want to sell out as quick as possible. But yeah, McDonald's is a, is a staple in the Olympic Village, man. Definitely. Okay. I believe at 22, you could have got away with eating McDonald's in preparation for the games. What's your nutrition plan like in preparation of the Olympic Games now? Um, I just try to tell people it's, it's not like we eat very strict, but it's like common sense eating. Like, all right, come on. We're not going to eat some fried chicken. You know, you know we're not going to eat hamburger. If, we have, if we're forced to eat food like that, you know, then obviously it's a one-off here or there. Um, but you know, you stick to, you know, the lean meats, you stick to the vegetables, you small carbs as possible. You know, you don't want to get too bloated, too heavy, especially as a sprinter. But I mean, it's actually just, man, it's just preference. You know, I was talking to a young athlete the other day is, it's really preference, whatever your body can take. Some athletes right. love carb loading and like pasta. Some athletes like lean and vegetables so they feel light. Yeah, that makes sense. How how soon or how close to a race are you eating? I know in football, they some of the signs said it was four hours before the game would be your best time to eat. What are they telling the sprinters? I'll give or take the same. For me, it would be the same, about maybe three to four hours. You gotcha. know, you wanted to digest and be able to pass and get light, feel good, you know, when you get out there. Um so about yeah, four hours. I, I don't go out there and feast, you know, like a lot of football players probably do before the game because you guys are out there a long time. We're only out there for nine seconds. So we try to get in a good round, you know, well-rounded meal, snack or something like that, you know, hydrate very well and then go out there and handle business. Yeah, for sure. When you're competing in a sport that if you go over 10 seconds, you have no shot of winning then it, it's a different load for us. It started days beforehand, making sure all your glycogen stores were, were completely full. And then you go in the game, and as an offensive lineman, you could never come out of the game. I used to say the defensive lineman, yeah, they chase the passer. They have to run down the field and all that. But they can come out of the game. When they need a break, they put their hand up. The offensive lineman yeah. can't come out of the game. So you have to prepare like you're going to play 90 plays because we play that many sometimes. And then there's games where you only play 50. But you have to prepare for that 90 because you can't leave your guys out on the field when you're part of a group of five. And, and you're in that individual sport, totally different ball game, and that 10-second load. So it's like the worst thing would be to feel heavy or bloated. But you also want to make sure you have that maximum explosiveness. I'm sure that's a – that's something you always have to balance. What's a normal day of training look like for you right now? We're recording this in May, you know, leading up to a big race. Um, so I'll give you an example. So yesterday we went out, we went out and uh, a, prep, a prep practice for a big race would be maybe three 150 meter runs. Um, walk back, take your time, because now you're just sharpening. You're just sharpening certain techniques. You're trying to get a feel like if I'm running the 200 this weekend, get to feel the turn. You know what I mean? So the coach will like have practices where it's just working on certain aspects of the race itself. So you'll be ready and sharp for that day, which is in the next 20 to 24 to 48 hours. You know, um, if you were talking about just training, like when we started our season. That's like a nine to five, man. You know what I mean? Right. Like practice starts at nine. 
you go out and you uh you practice on the track from like nine to about maybe eleven. And then from there is from like eleven thirty to like maybe one thirty is all gym workout. And then after that, it's all like recovery stuff. So you're either getting massage, acupuncture, hot tub, cold tub. So you're literally gone. I'm literally gone all day. And if I do get a chance to get home, it's just just enough to take a shower, grab some food, and then head back out to my recovery session. So it's it's a it's a it's a job. And people don't realize that. They think we just go out, run a little bit for an hour or two, and then we're like done for the day. I know. Yeah. And there's so many professions like that. People think football players only, you know, hit the practice field a few times during the week, show up on Sundays. People think preachers just show up on a Sunday and have this beautiful sermon for 35 minutes like it just appeared before them by the graces of God. And, and sprinters, you see them race like, man, Justin probably always fast. You know, he'll go out and beat the best in the world. That's what he does. You know, when you were talking about your training and it being a full-time job and all that, that's a tremendous sacrifice for your family. I know there's always a, a support at home, especially with you having children. But how tough was it for you to train for these 2020 games that are now postponed to 2021? What's that do to your mindset and your training? Oh, man, it was horrible, man. It was the, probably the most – one of the most taxing seasons for me in 2020 because – um, we literally had our bags packed to start our season, mm. to travel. And in that week of already having our plane tickets and everything, everything just fell apart. Things were getting canceled. Flights were getting canceled. It just was going crazy. And then from there, it's like we trained with no end in sight. Like we had no goal or objective to train for. We just kept training and training and training and training. And you already know how it is. When you train so much, your body gets burned out. You know, yeah. and we weren't even allowed to be on the track. So we're, we're training on patches of grass near retention ponds. So we had to, public parks were closed. So we couldn't go. We had to sneak and go different areas where it was grass and it was uneven, you know, field and things like that. You have to think about rolling your ankle. So it was, it was crazy. And then on top of that, it was in the dead of summer. So mm. like usually around the time, like, june july we're already like on the road traveling but orlando where we were there the whole summer and it was just relentlessly hot right <laughs> and it just it just broke me down man i just was like i couldn't wait for that season to be over with um and i couldn't wait for 2021 to start yeah man that's 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 a great point you brought up about the no end in sight and how often is it the most difficult things aren't when someone says, hey, you need to do this for this amount of time. It's no, you're going to endure this, but we don't know for how long. And that could be applied to, you know, cancer patients that that have no, you know, if you told them, hey, you're, you have this many chemo and radiations, knock it out and you're, you're done. Well, you don't know if you're done at that point. I've heard military people talk about their hardest workouts, their hardest runs weren't when they said, hey, go run 20 miles in your boots and your combat gear. It was, hey, just go out and run and we'll tell you when you're done it's like well now what what pace do i take what pace do i take if i'm justin gatlin i don't know when this race is going to be do i just keep training my butt off and burn myself out or do i take it easy and then all of a sudden they say hey here we go now now it's time to race you got to stay ready and that that is a great point about how tough that was i can't imagine training for an event where it's over in less than 10 seconds, you get one shot and it's all you. You know, for my whole life, it was football. And it's like, you get so many plays throughout a game. And yes, they always say, you know, the game will come down to five or six plays that, that change the game. But you don't know when those plays are coming. You know what's coming. And 
I, I know that there's the world championships and everything else, but you got that gold medal out there representing your country and all that. What type of mental training do you do in preparation of the games, just knowing that you don't want that moment to feel too big while you're prepping to go against the best in the world? My, my mental training is a little different from everybody else's mental training. You know, I, I, I literally sink myself into the, to the sport. And I think, like, you know, this is sink or swim. This is do or die. You know, um, these are the people that's going to try to take money, you know, out of my pocket, food mm. out of my mouth, you know. Um, and that's how I, I've always had that ideology when I thought about it going into sports. It's like I have to, I have to win this. This is my moment. This is my time. If I don't, then I have to reset, start all, start all over. Um, so, you know, through the years, I've, after winning a lot of races and um, championships, you know, obviously it becomes a little more duller, you know, so you have to find that momentum somewhere else. When you start off, you know, you're a spring chicken. You're just ready. You just want to take on the world. And after you've conquered the world a couple of times, you know, you're like, all right, well, how do I motivate myself? But you have to keep that same intensity and that same mentality, regardless of how many medals you have or how many records you have. You got to say, you know what? These people are out here to kill me. Mm. I got to kill them first. I got to go out here and take their heads off. I got to let them know and, and make a statement. So for me, it's always been that raw mentality, kind of like how you guys on the football field have. You know what I mean? Yep. You find a lot of track athletes don't carry that same mentality. They're more like, oh, get the job done, go through the motions, you know, we run, you know, go, make sure my technique is good. Sometimes you got to have that competition side where the competition takes over. You autopilot the technique and you just know that you can, your cues of running so you can be able to get through the nine seconds or 19 seconds and you can be successful. But competition has to come in somewhere. Competition has to be able to be the equalizer from gold, silver, bronze, and not on podium at all. Oh, that is good. I, I love that. And, and I would take similar approaches before the game. Like if I wasn't psyched up enough for a game, like if the game didn't bring enough emotional tie with it itself, I would literally psych myself out about the dude I was going against. I don't know this dude generally, but I'm, I'm literally sitting in the locker room before the game. Like this dude wants to take food off my family's plate. This guy wants to get me cut by the Buffalo. Like I would take that mindset each and every week. Cause I performed better in a little bit of a pissed off state. I did like, that's how yeah. I always operated a little bit pissed off and guys throughout the game, you get to know guys. Maybe I run into them at the Kentucky Derby or whatever. They want to shake your hand during the game. I'd be like, all right, Eric, lock back in. Like, do not let this dude get you out of your zone, which is a little bit ticked off. I've seen Usain Bolt, you know, they have clips of him like, going up and shaking hands and goofing around with people before the races. But it's like, mm -hmm. man, everybody knows their sweet spot. You know, he's, he's great as well. And he's got a different mindset before the race and that's fine. You just got to know what puts you in that mindset, no matter what you're doing in life, whether it's sales, preaching, competing, whatever, you got to know what gets you in that zone. I got a question. So talking specifically about the hundred, two things. One, does it feel Faster or slower than 10, nine point whatever seconds? Uh, and that might sound kind of like a dumb question, but when you're in that moment, does it feel slower or faster? And how soon off the blocks do you know, all right, I won that one? <laughs> um, all right, so part of the, the, part of the first question, to run 10 flat 
and to run nine, let's say nine, nine, between nine, nine, seven to nine, 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 right? Nine, ninety-nine. Um, that bracket all feels the same energy wise when you're running on the track from 10 flat to 990, all feels the same. Um, so you always look, when you're running, you look at the clock like, oh, after you finish, you're like, oh, okay. That felt like a 999 or it felt like a 10 flat. So when you run nine eights and nine sevens, they feel way different. Really? It feels, yeah, it feels like um, time slows down. feels like the matrix in a way. And I think that's why, People love running fast and love speed because it's, it's a rush, man. It's a it's it's such an addictive rush. Um, I would say to the second part of the question is when do you know you won? It depends on what shape you're in, how dominant you are, and who you're competing against. Mm. So if I like say for instance, if I got off the block and I was already in the lead by 10 meters or the 15 meter mark, someone again like Usain Bolt, that doesn't mean anything. I had to make sure that I put him away in the last 15 meters of the race. If I put him away in the last 15 minutes race, I won. You know what I mean? But right. if a field, an average field that I'm running against, if I've already put him away at 15 meter, 20 meter mark, I can be able to control the race. And usually the young athletes don't, they don't have the, the, the seasonness of, of, the, of the sport to know, okay, stay in the drive phase, stay in the transition, stay comfortable, stay patient and power out of it and, and go, go after me. You know what I mean? So it's all a strategy and you got to know who you're running against. You know what I mean? You got to know what they bring to the table. You got to know the attributes. You got to know the flaws. You got to know who you're running against. And it's a lot because I'm running, I'm me. I got to worry about my lane, but then I got to worry about six to seven or eight of the guys who are in that, depending on how many lanes are on the track. I got to learn, I got to know what they bring to the table too. So I might have three fast starters in my, in my, in my heat. I might have two great finishers in my heat, so I got to be able to control the race from the beginning, make sure I'm powerful in the middle, and I got to be able to make sure I don't slow down the end because you got guys who are all trying to jog the position and they're using their strategies as well. Man, that's great analysis. I, I can't wait to picture that the next time I see you run and, and, and all that goes into it because a lot of people, are it's, it's a blur to them. You know, it's simply a blur as fast as you all are running and – Okay, so when we were training for the combine, this is the only time I've ever been trained to run fast in my life, uh, <laughs> and I and I played at 310 pounds. So you know, I'm not going that fast. My my 10 yard time, I think, was the fastest for all interior linemen. I ran a 16810, but full disclosure, I've never even said this publicly. I was I had torn my PCL during the season, my senior year at Louisville. I played through it, but I was worried if I really opened up and ran like strided out, that mm-hmm. I would tweak it at the combine. It's hard to run a one six eight ten and still run a five one forty. You almost have to be slowing down. But uh, but that's where it happened. But you know, two quick questions on this, just because there's a lot of guys preparing for the draft that will listen to this, uh, that will hear it in my trainers that that they'll, they'll listen to this as well. So there's a, there's not a ton of debate. I think everybody says now you have to explode out of the blocks hard. For us, it's a stand. We don't get the blocks, but you want to explode out hard and you want to get to a longer stride early. Is that true? Um, it's not necessarily about a longer stride. I mean, for, for you guys, it's uh, it looks like a longer stride to us, but it's more of a turnover. You know what I mean? Like yeah. you, you use your natural stride length to run. You don't kind of reach because you got to realize that if I'm if I'm reaching, 
then I got to wait till my center mass crosses yeah. that foot before I can get to the next step. So you want to be able to step down underneath you and keep moving forward. That's how a lot of people seem to be faster than other people. Is, uh, and sometimes they just have great technique and their technique saves them and helps them win the race most of the time. So three-point stance, um, your momentum for us in the blocks, our momentum comes from the pad off the block. You know, we can yeah. push off of it and go. But in a three-point stance, you have, to, you have to rely on your arm swing. Your arm swing is going to be – it's going to start your momentum. So you got to, boom, get off that arm. Boom, 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 boom. Drive, 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 drive. You know what I mean? Then as you come up, don't pop up straight up and start running. You got to come out of it. And as you come out of it, violently swing those arms. And it's going to bring your – it's going to bring that momentum, that velocity that you're looking for. That's good stuff. And then when you finally do come up out of your drive phase – do you pre-race find a point that you're focusing on down the track so that you stay focused on one singular object? Do you do that? Yeah, you try to look at least maybe like uh, 15 to 20 meters in front of you. Don't look straight down the track um, because then your mind is telling you how far it is and you won't be as aggressive. Your mind's going to start conserving energy because it's like, all right, that's 100 meters away. All right, let's conserve energy because we've got to get to that point as fast as we can, right? Compared to if I'm only running at the, to that 20 meters that's in front of me, I'm going to haul ass. You know what I mean? I'm going to be like. <sighs> so you're always constantly like not having your head here, but you want to have your head tilted down, tuck your chin just a little bit, and you're running right here. And just keep running straight. Boom, 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 boom. Knock out, knock out every 20 meters. I'm excited to tell you about a product that I've been absolutely loving lately, and that's the Uller from ChiliPad. It is a temperature-controlled mat that goes under your sheets on your bed and controls your body temperature throughout the night. I originally heard this product endorsed by Tim Ferriss, Tony Robbins, David Nurse, and others, and I knew I had to give it a try. Maximizing the amount of deep sleep you get in a night is so important, especially when it's not possible at times to get a full 7 or 8 hours. ChiliPad puts you at the perfect temperature all night to promote deep sleep. When you get enough deep sleep, your learning capability is higher, your memory is stronger, you're prepared to take on your toughest workouts. In other words, you're in peak physical and mental shape after a night of true recovery. That's why finding a way to get more deep sleep is always at the top of my priority list. I will attach a link to purchase the chili pad in the show notes and use code ERIC22 at checkout to get 22% off your order. I personally use the Uller and I love it. It's so crazy how many just analogies I'm making for life out of this podcast. I don't do this as much all the time, but it's, it's crazy how much like the sprint and even all your words, like when you talked about focus on 20 meters ahead of you, not a hundred, it's like, that's life. Like don't focus on like something that's going to happen in years to come, dread those things. No, just knock out daily wins and watch how much better you become in life. Watch you become the person that you want to ultimately be. Don't say, oh my gosh, this guy's so much further ahead of me. Oh my gosh, I have this much student loan debt, whatever it may be. It's like, man, knock out those daily wins. Knock out that 20 meters because it is going to seem daunting if you, if you put yourself out too far. I was talking about myself at 310. DK Metcalf just competed at what was he 225 215 Yeah, 215 I think, yeah. What did you think of his race? Uh, I was impressed to be honest, man. Um I had him at maybe 10 30 something, but then I saw his start when they put it online that it showed him doing some practice starts. I was like, oh, "Okay, he can run 10 20 for sure." 
Um, he had a great start. He, uh, he, he used a lot of energy coming off the blocks, and he was able to generate momentum going down the track very easily. And I mean, he, has, he has a track background. He used to, I've heard that he used to do hurdles or something like that as well. Um, but I was impressed, man. I mean, the thing is, he never conditioned for the 100. So I can tell that he just started to get in race shape but never was conditioned to, to really race. You know what I mean? Yeah. So he, um, I could tell he, he hung with those guys for like 70, 75 meters. And then kind of like the, that bear jumped on his back, you know what I mean? The last <laughs> 30 meters, which is fine. You know what I'm saying? Because that means that if he really took it serious and really wanted to, he actually could be an elite sprinter, lose a little weight, condition himself better, he actually can run some really good times. I think he can run 10-10, 9-9. He has the capability of doing that, man. I mean, and that's that's just respect for the sport. You know what I mean? And when I have my stand with football, um, I thought it was going to be easy, just running routes, catching the ball. I saw – because everybody said, man, all you got to learn is – all you got to do is learn how to catch. That's it. (laughs) That's all I tell you. You're fast already. Just catch. And I was like, all right, well, I learned how to catch, learned the route tree, did everything. Mind you, I never played – wide receiver I always played free safety so I know a little bit of football but not that side of football so when it came to go to minicamp at the Buccaneers they start throwing all these plays at me and those plays were like hieroglyphics I was like what is going on here what are we doing here who was the head coach (laughs) Gruden oh okay yeah no doubt yeah (laughs) so it, it 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 really showed me a different side of football and where people love to say you know uh athletes aren't very smart you have to be smart to learn plays. You have to be smart to understand the science of sprinting mm-hmm. and to be able to run to a certain extent and to be able to compete, period, in any sport. You have to have some kind of smarts about you. And I definitely take my hats off to the football players out there who do it. Man, I agree with you 100% talking about the intelligence. And, you know, I always say that God doesn't bless everybody with the total package. There's guys that look incredible on a football field, the biggest, the strongest. They might not be the smartest, and that makes them not elite. God does bless certain people like a LeBron James, like a – shoot, I mean, go down the list of the the greatest of all time, like a Ray Lewis and and Mm -hmm. those types of people, or a Justin Gatlin. It's like when you get that combination – of athleticism combine it with the power of the mind now you have an olympian now you have one of the greatest to ever do something in your mind at 39 is this your last olympics i, I was talking to, to uh <laughs> actually was down in the lobby earlier talking to one of the nike reps he's like hey man what's going what's going on with uh paris i was like paris i'm thinking like he's talking about like a race this year he's like no i'm talking about 2024 i was like man <laughs> Um, yeah, I mean, theoretically, it would be my last Olympics, you know what I mean? But, um, when a season doesn't go as I like it to go, usually, I, be, I, I that's when I become hungry to, to go back to fall training. Let's get it going again. I know mm-hmm. what I need to do to get to where I need to get to, you know? So that fire hasn't gone yet for me. I haven't got to the point where I'm like, you know what? It's my last season. I'm done. Man. I'm out of here. But theoretically, it would probably be my last Olympics. What you've overcome throughout your career, and everybody knows that it's been public, and there's been setbacks and a lot of adversity, and to get to this point of your life where you're 39, and I heard you at age 35 in a speaking engagement talk about how you felt like you were a dinosaur in the sport then. You know, that was a dinosaur at 35. 
you know, now you're 39 and to be able to compete at this level and to still be peaking. I mean, there's just so many lessons you could, you could honestly do whatever you want as far as books, speaking, mentoring, coaching, what are your post-career aspirations? I don't know, man. To be honest, I haven't got that far to think about it. You know, a lot of people always want to feel like they have to have everything in order. Um, one thing I learned a couple of years ago was I was, I was beating my head against the wall, man. I was like, man, it's almost time for me to retire. What am I going to do? And then that became my focal point, retiring, while I was still competing. And it took away from my competition because I was so worried about what the next stage of my life was when I wasn't even focused on the stage where I need to be right now. And I learned that, um, you know, you don't want to like try to put your foot in the door to get to the next level. You know, you want to be able to kick that damn door down. You know what I mean? So my thing is you want to go out with a bang. I want to go out on top to where anything I desire that I want to do will be there for me to do instead of asking favors or like, hey, man, I'm done with the track. You know, you think you give me a shot doing this? If I go out on top the way I want to go out on top and if I'm focused doing it, all those doors should be open for me to do so. So I kind of like had to put that in the back of my head and think like, okay, because I'm not prepared for my next stage doesn't mean that what I'm doing right now won't prepare me for my next stage. I appreciate that answer more than you probably I could ever express my words right now. So when I was playing, guys would always kind of have one foot in football, maybe maybe a foot and a half in football, and then, you know, I'm dabbling in this real estate. I'm dabbling in this. And you know what? Their career ends a lot sooner than they thought. And the best way to prepare yourself for what you're going to do next, I feel like if you're truly trying to be great at what you're doing now, but you know that there's a timeline, it will come to an end. Pro football is like that. Sprinting's like that. There's so many occupations and careers that are like that. The way you prepare yourself for what's next, what's coming next, is by giving it all to what you're doing right now, practicing daily excellence, and then having a foundation in your life. And I've heard you speak before, you know, between your wife, your kids, your faith, there's your foundation you can fall back on. Surround yourself with good people, but you don't have to have it figured out afterwards. I didn't know if through times of being out of sport that maybe it created some clarity and for what was after sprinting, but I'm glad it didn't, honestly. I'm glad that your fire is about being the greatest at what you do right now, and then you'll be great at whatever you do next because you'll put that same effort, determination, it's not going to flip off. Unfortunately, I wish I could tell you it would. I wish when your wife hears this, she'd be like, man, I can't wait till Justin could just like hang out at home with the kids and me and we'll just, you know, travel. Like you're not going to ever turn that off. Like I hate to break it to you, but you're not, but you're going to do great things. And if you had just one foot in, I wouldn't be as confident as I am in you at the Tokyo games this year. So, you know, that's, that's the thing though. It's like, um, my career, my parents, my wife, like they understand what I need to do, what my focus is, you know what I mean? And they understand how important it is and what it all leads to success for all of us. So, you know, she's never really nagging me about, you know, traveling or, you know, being at home more with the kids or anything like that. She knows that there's a, there's a small window of being an athlete and that's any sport. It's a small window of being an athlete. And I tell these young athletes coming to the game, you have to realize that, especially in our sport, it's a hustle. You know what I'm saying? We don't get a pension. We don't get retirement. We don't get 401k. 
once you're done, you're done. Whatever money you've collected, you better hold on to it because there's nothing else coming from that. And I said, you have to put your best foot forward when you're in the sport. You can't say, you know what, I'm going to win the next one. No, you need to win this one because you don't know when the next one's going to come. So you got to handle business now. And so for that, and, my, and how I've always thought that way once I turned pro, um, my support system has always let me have that. You know what I mean? Said, handle what you got to handle. We'll be there to support. They don't, they don't bother me on championships. They stay in different hotels. I, I barely see them, you know what I mean? Because I'm handling business. But afterwards, we celebrate together. No doubt. And that's so incredible that you have a wife. I do as well. That understand people like you are going to live. You're going to leave a legacy. Like what you're doing. Yes. Her friends, husbands may not do what you do. They might not be gone as much. But she's married to a dude who's going to leave an incredible legacy on this earth. And the fact that she understands that and your parents and everybody else, you know, there's if you're not sacrificing something in your life to, to achieve greatness, like you're just never going to achieve it. There, there needs to be sacrifices that need to be made. And then after you achieve that greatness, you celebrate, then, then that allows you to spend that time. Let's knock out a, re, a few recurring questions. I'll let you get back to your uh, nine to five of, of training, get ready for these Olympics. But what's your favorite book? Anything that uh, Malcolm Gladwell makes. Love Malcolm Gladwell. So, you a big yeah. outlier guy? Outlier, uh, breaking point, tipping point. Yeah. Um, what the dog saw. Uh, Blue the dogs, uh, David and Goliath. That was a good. One. Yeah, I, 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 I usually, if I don't have it in front of me, hard copy. I'm listening to the audio while I'm, while I'm flying on the plane. I'm traveling. Yeah, Malcolm I, Gladwell. I, I love Malcolm Gladwell's work. I, I loved in David Goliath how he painted the picture about how David wasn't truly the underdog. Like he had, he was built for that moment. What a, what a great analysis that was um, that Malcolm made. What role does your faith play in your life? Uh, huge, huge. And I, I tell you why it plays a huge part of my life, because I think that we go through life, um, not just as human beings, but even as, as athletes, we go through and sometimes we take our faith for granted. You know, we already have the talent. God has given us that gift to be able to be athletic. You know what I mean? Jump high, run fast, do whatever, you know, be strong. And we have it with us every day. And through occurrences, unfortunate occurrences, sometimes it's taken away from us permanently or tempor temporarily. And then you realize that um, your physical talent isn't what you, isn't the gift that God only gave you. He gave you that mental and to believe in him and have that faith. You know, um, I always thank God. And people always say, well, sometimes I see you pray. Sometimes I see you get down your knee after a race or after a championship. It's because I, I pray before I run because that's where it's most important to me. I thank him afterwards, but my prayer is for me to be brave in my attempt as I go out here and put on you know, a show and use my God-given talent. I do that all the time. Um, so faith has always been with me and always will be with me. I appreciate that answer. What was your first car? <laughs> my first first car? Yeah. My first first car was a Geo Prism. I don't even think nice. they even make it anymore, man. Geo, you got to go way back to see what a Geo Prism looks like. I remember. That was that. my first car in high school. I remember. But I've had that. a lot of cars over time. Yeah, I've had a Chrysler Concorde, a, 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 a Cougar, a Mercury Cougar, and then it just keeps going up and up. And I had a lot of cars, man. 
what was the first car that you got to purchase that you were like truly proud of when you turned pro? Uh, Escalade uh, EXT, mm. the truck, the truck version. I saw, I think Tom Brady won his first Super Bowl and they gifted him the, the EXT, the Cadillac EXT. And I saw it and I was like, I gotta have that. So when I, when I turned pro, that was my first big purchase I ever had was getting that truck. Yeah, we're only a few years apart. And I think like right when we were like towards the end of high school and in college, those Escalades were it. And so for me yeah. so to this day, like that's what I equate like the Escalade with success because like that was that was the tops. Like right around that time, we're both mid to late 30s. What's your favorite restaurant? Ooh, that's a good one. Ooh. I'm a foodie person, but I'm not a picky foodie person. Um, you know what? I'm going to say that there is a restaurant in Orlando called Eddie V's, and they serve a great steak. Great steak. I'm a steak guy. I like steak. And um, one of the best steaks I've ever had. So I'm probably have to say Eddie V's. Good deal. I'll have to check that out. We hit Disney, unfortunately, like twice a year. So next time I'm down in Orlando, we got Eddie V's on me, brother, and we'll be celebrating. And my last question for everybody is always, what's next for Justin Gatlin? What's next for the guest? This podcast is What's Next with Eric Wood. I feel like we've talked about that a bunch, and I don't want to put you on the spot again. Uh, in no, it's okay. What would, well, okay. Between now in early August, what's what's next for you? What's it going to look like? Um, obviously, hopefully getting, getting ready for the Olympic trials. Hopefully making the Olympic team, God willing. Um, getting on that podium again. Hopefully becoming, um, becoming someone who hasn't done something crazy before by winning Olympic gold medal from 2004 and winning another Olympic gold medal in, in 2021. <laughs> um, but after that, you know, I've, I've started a, a foundation, Justin Gatlin Foundation and 619 company-wise. And um, we are looking to go into communities and helping athletes. Um, you know, there's, there's always, there's always going to be foundations that's going to help, you know, students get books, be able to read, be able to study, be able to educate themselves. And I feel like as on the sports side, it's kind of fell off, like, I went and did a mission trip in, um, in Dominican Republic a couple of years ago, and I realized that these young athletes were playing baseball, but they were playing baseball with sticks from a tree mm. and rocks from the ground. And they were taking it so serious as if they were playing a real game of baseball. And I said, what would have been anything just to bring a couple of duffel bags full of baseballs, mitts, and bats for them to have to be able to kind of sharpen their skills with that? You know what I mean? To be able to have that, they would hold that, they would hold that deer to their heart. And I felt like building a foundation that would cater towards um, athletes who don't have around the world, you know, and teaching them techniques around the world, I, that, that, that was something that's really dear to my heart. Man, that's incredible stuff. And you've had the experience of traveling around the world and experiencing more than most because of your sport and it being a global sport. Football, we're pretty centralized just to the U.S. What a cool opportunity you've had to see the world, see the needs around, and then want to do something about it. Brother, I just want to thank you for your time. I know how busy you are right now in your preparation to take the time 
to make an impact on me, to make an impact on the listeners truly means a lot. For me to wake up at 8 a.m., like this day is going to be great to get to talk to one of the greatest of all time at what he does. And then for you to back it up with your humility, your humility, your mindset, your faith, and everything else that you bring to the table, brother, you keep being you. I can't wait to follow you. You got a big old fan of me for the rest of your life. Thank you, my brother. I appreciate it, man. Thank you. Yep. Thank you. Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with a friend or with your followers on social media. Also, shoot us a rating and support the sponsors whose information is in the show notes. Until next time, as I tell my daughter before she leaves for school every day, spread some joy and make it the best day ever.